Welcome to the Atlantic Baptist Church Podcast. Visit our new website at AtlanticBC.org. Or check us out on Facebook for the latest updates. Now, here's Pastor Carlos. Good morning. And Happy New Year. It is 2014. And uh, I say this every year, and if I go back and listen to um, messages of New Year's and I say, you know, it's 2012, woo, it's 2013, woo, sounds futuristic. I say it again this year. 2014 sounds to me futuristic. It sounds like a date still yet to come. And uh, I think it has to do with growing up, I watched the Back to the Future movies. Do you remember those? Um, And they had like three of those, and it took place in 1985, okay? And then the premise is that this, this guy, kid, Marty, goes back 30 years to 1955 in the first movie. Well, then the second movie, he goes into the future 30 years to 2015, which is next year. And so when I think of 2014 and 2015 right around the corner, it sounds futuristic. And if you remember the movie, they had like flying cars and, and these shoes without laces that just kind of latched on to you. And uh, they had these skateboards without wheels and all this stuff. And, I, you know, we got a year to get all this stuff out. And... <laughs> but here's the other thing I was thinking about it. And, and, and you call me strange, um, really. Um, 1985, he went back 30 years. We are now in 2014, which is almost 30 years ahead. So when he went back 30 years from 1985 to 1955, that means next year for us, our 19, his 1955 will be our 1985. Think about that for a minute. Like, that, like 1955, and I, I mean... If you guys were around in 1955, you're like, it's not that old, but I mean, because I don't think 1985 is that old, but when I think of 1955, I think, whoa, that's way back there. But now, you know, there are people who think 1985, probably my kids, 1985, wow, dad, that's a long time ago. It's almost 30 years ago. And so we're almost at the point where his going back 30 years is where we are to go back 30 years to 85, which is kind of mind-boggling. Okay, with that aside... Um, besides pondering movie trivia, another thing that I looked at, and I do this every year, is I look at what is the top um, searches on Google. I Google everything, and people ask me things like, I don't know, let's just Google it, and we look it up. Um, and so uh, I want to know what were the top searches. What did people look at? And they call it now, they don't call it searching anymore, they call it trending because, you know, Twitter and all this other stuff. What were the top searches people looked for Online, which is a main source of information for us today. What were the top searches worldwide? Worldwide. What do you think? What do you think one of the top things people looked online, sought out, looked to find worldwide in 2013? Do I have any guesses? What is it? Cars? God. God? No, God, um, God did not make the list. We need to stop right now and pray, okay? Worldwide. Not health insurance. Let me tell you number 10. North Korea. Okay? Worldwide. Just kind of get context. North Korea. Uh, Number seven. The royal baby. The royal baby. Okay? Now, worldwide, this is amazing. Number five. The Harlem Shake. 
I mean, come on, guys. The Harlem Shake? If you don't know what it is, you can Google it. Um, number three, the iPhone 5S. The iPhone 5S. Number two, worldwide. Now, this was amazing to me. Paul Walker. He was the guy from the Fast and the Furious who died tragically in a car accident. Number one worldwide, Nelson Mandela. Top searched. What about locally? Locally, meaning uh, in the United States. They have another list, United States. Um, number eight, the new pope. Number six, the Zimmerman trial. Number five, the royal baby. <laughs> number four, uh, tornadoes in uh, Oklahoma. Number three, the VMAs, the Video Music Awards. I mean, uh, this is the United States. Number two, the government shutdown. The government shutdown. And the number one thing searched, trending, in 2013 uh, in the United States was the Boston Marathon. The Boston Marathon. Now, when I think of those events, when I see those, when I, when I read those, these are what people are looking up, they're searching, they want information on. This is what has captivated the country and the world over the last year. Um, one thing that uh, was strange to me was they really didn't have a big impact on my life. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but um, the royal baby, not much of an impact on my life. Um, the Harlem Shake, I mean, really didn't do anything for me. I can't even do it. Paul Walker, Nelson Mandela, and those are, those are you know, Nelson Mandela is a historic figure for what happened, but his um, impact on my life here, it doesn't have a big impact on my life. And even in the United States, when you, when you talk about, um, again, the royal baby, the, the tornadoes, I mean, that was a big impact in our country, but it didn't have a direct impact on my life. And maybe you know someone who was impacted in that way. But the chances are it probably didn't have a big impact on your life. Certainly the VMAs, the Video Music Awards, had no impact on my life. I didn't even watch it. The government shutdown, which was a big thing, and unless you're a government employee, um, it, it, it was a, not even a speed bump. And the Boston Marathon, which had profound impact on many people's lives in the Boston area and captivated our nation as we watched them track down uh, those who did that, um, it didn't have a big effect locally here. And so here's the question I want to ask you today. What were you searching for in 2013? And I'm not talking about the Google searching. I'm talking about what was your heart yearning for? What was, what was your desires of 2013? What would be your top ten list of things that captivated you in 2013. <clears throat> but let's take it a step further. Now that we're in the new year, what are, you, what are you looking forward to? What are you hoping you'll find in 2014? What is it that you are hoping will happen in 2014? You see, last week, Pastor Carlos did like an examination, a review, an evaluation. <clears throat> 
And he looked at 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourself. We're called to examine, examine ourselves to, to see where our faith lies, to see where our, um, if we are in Christ. And Pastor Carlos said we need to examine ourselves coming into this new year, and that's good. But this morning what I want to do is I want to look at the past while keeping an eye on the future, but understand how it affects the present now. Like the movie Back to the Future, the, the past had implications. When he did things in the past, it affected the present. And as he looked to the future, he knows that those had implications of how he lived in the present. And so today, what I want to do is, I want to look at how we can live today. You see, many times we get stuck in the past. We, we think of better days, the days that were great. I think back in 1985 when I was uh, a middle schooler, and was, I thought great days. But when we look back to the past, we have the blame game. Not better days, it's blame game. And we say, this thing happened, and this is why I'm where I am. And we start blaming things. And we can get stuck in there. Or we can, we can have our eyes fixed on the future, and we can say, um, we're idealizing. We're romanticizing. We're dreaming of all that could be. Or we're agonizing of things to come. The uncertainty. Not, not sure what's going to happen. And so whether you get stuck in the past with better days or blame, or whether you're um, daydreaming about the future or agonizing or fearful or dreading the future, what happens is it paralyzes you in the present. You're not living the life God has intended you to live today, now, by his grace and by his power. And so what we're going to look at is a passage of scripture where the Apostle Paul prays for the church at Thessalonica. And he prays for them of how they are to live today in light of the past, eye on future, in light of today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1. And we're going to look at the last part of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. And let me just give you a little context. Paul went to uh, that church, that area, Thessalonica, on his second missionary journey. And when he got there, people started believing. But then there was this like revolt, and Paul had to escape at night. He was sent away far sooner than he wanted to. And so then as he was sent away, he longed to know what was happening. And he wanted to go back, but the scripture says he was kept from going back. It actually says that Satan held him from going back. And so what he did is he sent Timothy to go find out. And what we see from the first letter of Thessalonians is that Paul had a deep love for the people there. And he was um, comforted by knowing that uh, they were doing all right. But he understood that there was trials and troubles coming and that their faith was still young. Then we get to the second book the second letter that Paul writes shortly after. And these letters are probably one of the most early letters written. And what happens is there's these people who are claiming to speak on behalf of Paul, and they're saying, the day of the Lord, which is Christ's return, has already come. You missed it. And the, to compound things, people were just kind of being idle. They're just kind of hanging out. They're not doing anything. And so Paul writes um, to help correct that. 
And so here's what it says in 2 Thessalonians 1. And what he, what he starts with is he commends them for their faith and their love, even growing in the midst of persecution. And then and, uh, through 5 through 10, he talks about the, um, you haven't missed the day of the Lord. And he describes the events as saying, this is, these are events you're not going to miss. You're going to know it comes. And here's what, when, it, when it comes, all that is unjust will be made right. All, that, all those who persecute you um, will come to justice, and you will receive glory. You will be with Christ in glory. And then he says this, starting in verse 11. He says, to this end we pray, to this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every result for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Paul's prayer. In the beginning he says, I pray for you. Often, I pray for you always. Whenever I think of you, I'm praying for you. This wasn't just an occasional prayer. This is Paul saying, I pray for you often. And then we see what he prays. And here's what he prays. First, that God may make you worthy of his calling. That God may make you worthy of his calling. What does that mean? When I read that, I'm going, what, what does that mean? You know, we're starting a series uh, next week about the Gospel of John. And I'm so excited about that because the Gospel of John is a rich book. It uses simple things to proclaim, proclaim profound truth. And it will... It will cause you to see Jesus in a new way. And it demands you respond to Jesus in a new way throughout the Gospel of John. And what Paul says, what Paul's saying here in this, in this calling that we want you to call people to a relationship with Christ. And God is calling you, not just calling people into that relationship, he's calling you to be the vehicle, the means of that. But God's call is much grander and greater and richer and deeper than just um, this calling people. When, when God's calling, it is an effectual call by his spirit. And it is according to his divine purposes. It is a high call. It is a holy call. It is a heavenly call. It is a call to have fellowship with Christ. It is a call to liberty, freedom from the sin that binds us. It is a call to peace, a peace that transcends all understanding, peace with God. It is a call to glory. God's calling you to glory, to eternal life, to an everlasting kingdom. That call is what Paul's talking about. May God make his calling effectual. Listen to what it says in um, second, first Thessalonians, first Thessalonians in his first letter. This is what it says in verse 12. We exhort each of you, first Thessalonians 2:12, we exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you, walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The call is a call to glory. The second part is that Paul's praying that he would make you 
worthy of this calling. And that, that kind of threw me for a loop. Worthy. What does he mean by worthy? It doesn't mean that you are meriting it. It doesn't mean that you are earning it. What the word worthy means is it means fitting or appropriate. And the, the idea is that you are destined for glory. Your calling is secure. You are a son and daughter of the king. Now live like it. Your life should reflect, that is, be fitting, be appropriate, be worthy of your calling. Your calling is to an eternal, an eternal inheritance. It's like this. What would you do if I told you, ultimately, in the 2014, you would not fail at what you endeavor to do? You would be successful, ultimately successful. Now, let me clarify. You, you might have setbacks. You might have struggles along the way. But in the end, you would succeed. How would you then operate? How would you then live your life? If I said, ultimately, you're going to be successful. All the little bumps in the road, all the trials, all the little um, things that come up, you would say, I can handle that. Because ultimately, I know I'm going to be successful. Did you know WD-40? WD-40, it's a great thing. For those who don't know, it's a little spray grease. WD-40. Where the name comes from? The name comes from water displacement, 40th attempt. 39 times they tried to make this. And 39 times they were unsuccessful. And on the 40th try, they got it. They got the right formula. And so they named it water displacement, 40th attempt, WD-40. And here's the idea. If they would have given up early on, all those bolts, all those uh, nuts that get stuck, I wouldn't be able to loosen. All those doors that squeak, they'd be squeaking. Or what about, what about Thomas Edison, famous for inventing the light bulb? Now, he didn't invent the light bulb, but he perfected the light bulb because they're trying to figure out how to make a light bulb last. And for those who know in recent news, the light bulb, the standard light bulb, is going away. I'm very sad about it. In fact, I went to the store and bought a bunch of them. (laughs) 125 years we've had that type of light bulb. Thomas Edison was credited with making it um, a workable model that we could use. And as legend has it, he had over 1,000 attempts. Some say 3,000, some say 10,000, depending on where you read. But we know that he made thousands of attempts to get it right. And he didn't give up. And so when it says that we are called, we are supposed to live life worthy of God's calling, that worthiness of his calling is live life appropriate knowing that you are going to succeed. That even though at times it seems like we have challenge difficulties and we're going to fail, you are going to succeed. Because here it is. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you have already won the race. Christ has won it for you. You've already won. 
Now he's calling you to run it faithfully. And you don't have to worry about your performance. You've won. Now you run out of gratitude. And so our responsibility is to live a life worthy of this high calling. That's the first part. Now if you notice, Paul continues and he says, May God fulfill every resolve for good and work of faith by his power. Paul is praying that God would work his perfect will in faith and power in our lives. In that passage, he says, every good resolve. How would you like it if I told you God's going to fulfill your resolutions? New Year's resolutions, did anybody make any? I didn't make any this year because last year I failed terribly. And so I said, I'm not going to actually make any New Year's resolutions. But our country, about half the people in our country actually make formal resolutions. And it's interesting that by the first week, 75 percent of those resolutions, only 75% are still keeping those resolutions. After the first week, so in this week, about 25% have already given up. The number drops about 64% after the first month. So we're almost at half. After the first month, people are going, okay, it's not working. Less than half stick to their goals for more than a month to about half a year. In the end, only 8%, less than 8% are actually successful at achieving their resolutions. So if I said to you, I'm praying that God would fulfill your resolutions, you'd be like, that's fantastic. That's what Paul's praying here. But he qualifies it. It's not just fulfilling the resolutions. He's he's saying he's fulfilling every um, resolve for good. For good. Because unfortunately, not all our resolutions are for good. So the question you have to ask is, what is good? How do we know what is good? And in Scripture, we know that goodness is based on the character of God. God is good. Jesus said there's no one good but God, saying it all comes from God. Listen to what it says about goodness. The psalm says... The Lord is good. The psalm says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. It says in Psalm 119, you are good, and you do good. Teach me your statutes. You are good, you do good, teach me. About your goodness. Psalm 119.68. God has given us a reflection of what is good. And it's him. And we are called to evaluate all that is good based on his character and what he has given to us. That means there is a standard. And so we need to operate within that standard and a resolve for good based on what God calls good. Not what the culture calls good. Not what individuals call good, but what God calls good. It says in Galatians 6.10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are the household of faith. 
Let's do good to everyone. Seek good for everyone, but especially to the household of faith. Look around, church family. The house of faith. That we are to seek to do good. Especially here. Our resolve should be the, for the goodness in this place. And ultimately, when we resolve for good, we resolve for God himself. Because he is the standard of good, we resolve to know God himself. Whom whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing upon the earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 73. God's goodness overflows into other qualities, into other attributes. God's mercy is his goodness towards those in distress. God's mercy is his goodness to those who are in distress. God's grace is his goodness to those who don't deserve it. God's patience is goodness to those who continue to sin over and over again. And so when Paul prays here, he says, I want God to fulfill, to grant, to make happen every good resolve. So as God's spirit moves inside of you and you resolve to do good according to God's standard, Paul is praying for them, for us today, that God would make that happen. Then he says, and he wants to fulfill every work of faith. Every work of faith. It sounds like, you know, one of those oxymorons, jumbo shrimp, work of faith. What, what is work of faith? Work of faith is when we, um, our will is, desire is, we resolve for goodness, and then the work of faith is the means of bringing that about. That we actually do something. That we're actually working striving towards but it's a work of faith and the work of faith is we're dependent upon the power of god both in the ability to do it and what it's going to accomplish it's opposite of the work of the flesh it's opposite of um doing things on our own the great example of that in scripture is um ishmael and isaac one is a promise child the other is um, a work of the flesh. Abraham was waiting and waiting and waiting. And they go, I don't, I don't know if we're going to have this promised son, so let's see if we can make it happen. Here's Hagar. She might be able to have a baby. This might be how God's going to fulfill his promise. But it wasn't. That was, that was a, a, a work of flesh. But then there was the work of faith, the promise. God fulfilled his promise, gave the child the promise, Isaac. And we still do that today. Even last week when we talked about this um, measuring commitment that Pastor Carlos gave us, and this is something we need to do evaluate. Here's one thing that is dangerous, dangerous about as we evaluate. We can do all these things in our own strength and not be a work of faith. We can, we can actually have um, our private prayer time. And we do it by our own ability. And we say, I'm praying. I'm, I'm mustering up enough strength within me, and I'm going to pray. That's not a work of faith. I'm going to study God's Word. I'm going to read through the whole Bible. And I'm, I'm going to do it every day, and I'm, a, I'm just going to resolve to do it. That could be a work 
of the flesh. Moral conduct, attendance and weekly service. Listen, if we are doing those things for those things in and of themselves, if we are praying just so we can say we're praying, if we're reading God's word just so we can say we're reading God's word, if we're doing good things so we can say we're doing good things, if, if we are evangelizing just so we can say we're evangelizing, that's not the goal. The goal of all those means of grace, prayer is communion with God. Reading his word is communion with God. Doing things that are um, acts of goodness and moral righteousness are supposed to be reflecting God's character. Evangelizing is supposed to share who God is, not how great we are. That's work of faith. And the results, the results we leave to God. Because it's a work of faith, we're trusting in God for the results. So if you're praying and there's no answer, keep praying. Don't change. Don't try to have the son Ishmael. If you're reading God's word and you're not getting anything, Lord, I just, I'm not understanding this, keep reading. It's a work of faith. God will be faithful. If you are evangelizing, you're seeing nobody come to faith, keep evangelizing. Keep proclaiming the name of Christ. As a work of faith, God will be faithful. Paul here is praying. He is praying that God would fulfill this. And you see that it says in the passage that he would fulfill it. Look what it says. By his power. By his power, not yours. So here's what we have. God may make you worthy of his calling. Live in light of what he has already given you, granted you, and walk in that. And then make resolves for good and do the work of faith that God has called you to. Knowing that it's by his strength and his power that things are going to happen. And the goal is so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. The whole goal of it is not self-glorification, it is glorification for Christ. And as he is glorified in you, you will be glorified in him, which means you're going to be changed. You're going to be changed slowly but surely. He is changing you, molding you, shaping you into the image and likeness of his son. And finally it says, according to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, this is amazing. It starts out with Paul praying, acknowledging the powers in God. The fact that he's praying, he's saying, God can do this. And then he said, God is going to make you worthy. God's going to do it. Then it is by God's power. And then it is for God's glory. And here it is by God's grace. God's at work now, today, here, in this place. I sometimes get confused in ministry that we need to see the big things of God. Has that ever happened? We want to see God do grand and great things. And I do want to see that. But sometimes when we say the grand and great things, again, we miss God is at work in the small things. That God's grace is not just in the big revivals and the mega-growing churches and thousands of people. God's grace is at work in your life in the little things. There's a pastor who wrote um, a recent article and it's the 10,000 little things. And it, he came to realization when he had this moment with um, arguing and his son overheard him. And he was a little embarrassed about it. And he said, what should we do? He said, well, what, to his son, he goes, what, 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 what should I do then? 
They said, well, what do you think God wants you to do? And it was a trivial thing. It was a small thing. And at that moment, it hit him and said, God's grace is not just in the big things. God's grace is in every moment grace, in the small things. And he said, most of us, when we have these resolutions, you know, in the beginning of the year, we resolve to do all these things. We see that so many of them fall short. So many people don't fulfill them. And most of our lives, we don't live based on making a resolution, I'm going to make this happen. Most of us live in the small moments, the little moments, the 10,000 moments. And what he says is, he said, you see, the character of life is not seen in two or three dramatic moments. The character of life is formed in these little moments. It's what shapes you, how you respond. It shapes you how you're going to respond to these big moments. God's grace in little moments. 10,000 moments of personal insight and conviction. 10,000 moments of humble submission. 10,000 moments of foolishness exposed and wisdom gained. 10,000 moments of sin confessed or sin forsaken. 10,000 moments of little courage of faith. 10,000 choices towards obedience. 10,000 moments of forsaking the kingdom of earth and running towards the kingdom of heaven. 10,000 moments where, you, where we abandon worshiping the creation and give ourselves wholly, fully in worship of the creator. He says what makes all this possible is the relentless, transforming little moments of grace. He says, Emmanuel is not just because Christ came to earth. Emmanuel is because he dwells and lives in us now, this present moment, and active in the mundane moments. And so as Paul prays this prayer, to this end, we always pray for you that God may make you worthy of his calling, that you will walk in light of what he's already given you, and he may fulfill every resolve for good, that we resolve because of his spirit within us to do good things for his glory. And every work of faith, that we will be faithful in what he's called us to, trusting and knowing that He controls the results for his glory and our good. So that the name of our Savior may be glorified in us as we live, and us in him. And this is all according to the grace of God that's given to us in Jesus Christ. You know, Thomas Edison was asked about all those failures that he had. And he was asked, well, you've failed to make the light bulb 999 times. And as legend says, he smiled and responded and said, I didn't fail. I just found 999 ways how not to make a working light bulb. You see, for Thomas Edison... All those things were not failures. They were steps 
towards success. And in our lives, if we belong to Christ, if he has called us, he has renewed us, we look at the past and know we are secure because of the blood of Christ. And we look to the future and we know that we have great glory waiting for us. Those both things, both our past, which is glorious, of what he's done, and the future, which is glorious, converge in this present and say, now, now today, live a life worthy of God's calling. John Newton, John Newton was a slave trader. And in the movie Amazing Grace, you might be familiar with him. He is estimated to have transported 20,000 slaves. And he said that it still haunted him years later when he became a Christian, a believer, and actually became a pastor. Listen to what he says. He says, I am not what I ought to be. Oh, I am imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be. I abhor what is evil, and I want to cling to what is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon, though, I shall put off mortality, and with mortality all sin and imperfection. Yet though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and to Satan. I can hardly join, I can hardly join with the apostle and acknowledge, by the grace of God, I am what I am today. By the grace of God, by 10,000 little steps, not of failure, but towards success. You are what you are, a child of the King.